0: ending our series on thankfulness, rejoicing in the riches of God, and I want to begin before we get to Philippians chapter 4, I want to begin in a variety of different texts. So I just need you to roll with me, just go with me, um, be flipping or click on the, the, the page quickly. We're going to uh, hit a few passages because I think it's very important for us to talk about this subject before we get into Philippians chapter 4. So turn with me first to Acts chapter 17 verses 24 and 25. And as you're turning there, let me let you know, this is Paul speaking to philosophers, speaking to the thinkers at Mars Hill. This is where they met to discuss important things. And Paul meets them there. And Paul says in verse 24 that the one true God is the one who made the world and everything in it, that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And furthermore, he does not live in temples made by human hands. So the one true God has made the world and everything in the world. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and so you cannot contain him in temples that human beings make. And then he makes this amazing statement. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Paul is laying out the self-sustaining, self-giving nature of the one true living God. You cannot serve him or supply anything to him as if he needs anything. So there is nothing that you can give to God or supply to God or add to God. He is the needer of nothing. He is above having needs. He is the need-giver, not the need-haver. This is why Paul goes on to say, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is fundamentally giver and never the needer. Church, this is massively important for you to understand The character and the nature of God. God is never in need. I have heard people say the reason that God needed to create was because God, can you imagine for all of eternity being alone? As if God was lonely until human beings came on the scene. And then once He made us, God's like, okay, I'm not lonely anymore. God is self-sustained. He does not need anything from you. You cannot add anything to Him. He is the need giver. God is not made glorious by having billions of servants running around waiting on Him. No, He is glorious by serving billions of people. He's not made glorious by being served. He is made glorious by serving We see this in Mark chapter 10. I want you to turn there with me next. Mark chapter 10 verses 43 through 45. Right here at the heart of the gospel, we see this self-giving God. Mark writes, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first must become a slave to all. And the example of this is the human embodiment of this self sustaining, self giving God. Because he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served. Not to be served. It cannot be said any more explicitly not to be served but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. God is not served by us as though He needed anything, but in fact, He is the one who gives and supplies all of our needs. We're the needy ones. We are the ones who have lack, not God. So God is not made glorious, by us giving Him anything. As if somehow your worship to Him fills a void that He has. God has always been and will forever be infinitely glorious whether you worship Him or not. He is Lord of all things whether you submit to that lordship or not. We are the needy ones. And so what He does is because of his self-sustaining, self-giving nature, he supplies our needs. He is seen as glorious because he is the one who meets the needs of his creation. Now we can go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we have been. This is now week 4, session 4 I should say. And I know that we've got to look at 14 through 18, but I want you to go to verse 19 first. Here's what he says in verse 19 My God. My God, the God that we just talked about, who is self-sustained and needer of nothing, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. That is what this is all about. God gives to show He is rich in glory, not to get glory. Not to add glory, should I say. He supplies our needs to show that He is rich in glory. It comes down to this simple truth. I am the supplier here, not you. I am the giver here. I am the one who supplies, not you. Everything, church, is a gift. Because God wants to show how rich he is in glory. He gives us gifts. He meets our needs to demonstrate how rich he is in glory. When we say that we give glory to God, you know what we mean by that is, right? We are acknowledging how glorious he is. We're not giving him glory in the sense that he needs it. We are acknowledging. We are recognizing. We are seeing his glory for what it is. And we are simply worshiping him for that glory. And I think we can get it confused at times to think that somehow our worship to God or our our gl- the glory that we're giving God is something that God needs. No, it's a recognizing by us how needy we are, and we are thankful that in the riches of His glory, He has made that manifest to us. And we are worshiping Him for who He is. When we say the word magnified, you know, there's two ways that you can understand the word magnified, right? So one is, if you have a microscope, and you take a microscope, and you're looking at something that is really tiny, 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 and under a microscope, it looks way bigger than it is, right? Okay, so that's a a sense of how you're magnifying something. You're taking something that is tiny, And you are seeing it for bigger than what it is. Well, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about magnifying God. When we talk about magnifying God, it's more like a telescope. We're we're looking at something that many people think is small. And when you look through a telescope, you see it for how glorious it really is. When we magnify God, what we're doing is, is that we're wanting the world to see God for who he really is. They see him as small. We want the world to see him for who he really is. When we're giving glory to God in the world, when we're thanking God, when we're praising God, when we're filled with gratitude, we're not doing anything for God's benefit As if God needed anything. What we are doing is we are letting the world know he is infinitely glorious. We're praising him for how glorious he is. Should not come to any surprise that Paul ends this section in Philippians 4 with a doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when we serve God, we do not do so in order to give God anything. So then how do we serve God? <laughs> right? How if if I when I'm serving God, if I'm not giving God something, if I'm not adding to God, if I'm not giving him something he needs, then how do I serve God? The answer lies in the fact that we serve each other. How do you serve God? You serve each other. You serve the church. Are we not the body of Christ? We've said this multiple times. Jesus is not in this room in his human body right now. But his body is here. His church is here. And the way that we serve God is by serving people who have need. By allowing God to use us to serve those who do have needs. Let me give you a principle. It's a life principle. We're going to see it played out in verses 14 through 18. Gracious generosity leads to gratitude. And gratitude then leads to gracious generosity. Gracious generosity leads to gratitude. Gratitude leads to gracious generosity. In other words, once a person has experienced and received the gracious generosity of God, they will become a grateful and thankful person who then in turn becomes gracious and generous to others. If you say, you know what, I'm just not a very generous person, you can't start there. The root of the problem is you're not thankful like you need to be. You're not grateful like you need to be. So what you need to do is we need, we need to back up. If you say, I'm not a very gracious person, I'm not a very giving person. I, I don't self-sacrifice very easily. Well, then we need to back up. It's because you're not thankful. It's because you're not grateful. And the reason why you're not thankful and grateful is because you're focusing on the wrong stuff. Let's back up again and look at the generosity of God in your life. Get a piece of paper and just start writing down the things you're thankful for. Write down the things that God has done for you. From little to big, start writing them down. Thank you that my brain works. Thank you that my heart works. Thank you that I'm I'm alive. Thank you that I breathe. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my family. Start going and listing the details. And then what you're going to find out is that you don't have enough paper to list them all. And what you're going to find out is that your heart begins to get thankful It begins to get grateful. And what overflows from that is then you become generous. This is a life principle. Once you experience the generous nature and the gracious nature of God at giving you and supplying your needs, and you recognize those, you become grateful and thankful. And then in turn, you do that for other people. I want to demonstrate this from verses 14 and 18 this morning. Can we all agree that God was gracious to Paul? We can all agree with that. Let me just say as a side note, by the way, because people get this really wrong. This is just a teaching moment. Saul did not get his name changed to Paul. Everybody thinks, I say everybody, so many people think that Saul's name gets changed to Paul like Abram got changed to Abraham. Okay, that's not true. Saul was his Jewish name, Paul, was his Gentile name. The reason why the Bible begins using Paul and not Saul anymore is because Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So he begins going to Gentile nations and using his Paul name. Does that make sense? So he did it's not like Saul, like he, disav- like he just disavowed Saul because that was the name I was before I got saved. No, that's... But it was his Jewish name and then his Gentile name. Different than Abram to Abraham or even Simon to Peter, I guess. Um, Paul was a man who hated those who followed Jesus. He spent his life hunting them down, putting them in prison, beating them and killing them. That was his zealous goal. But God, being rich and in mercy and love, graciously stopped Paul literally on his way to persecute christians stopped him and saved him and made him a brand new person in jesus christ as a result of god's generous gracious nature in paul's life he was filled with gratitude let me read you just a few texts from paul's letters where he talks about his thankfulness 1 corinthians 15:57 thanks be to god who gives us victory Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. Ephesians 1.3. Thanks be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 1 Timothy one, twelve through seventeen. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I was the foremost. Because I receive mercy for this, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul became a gracious generous, thankful person because of what he received from God. So God gives generously to Paul and Paul is full of gratitude and thanksgiving for it. And he writes about it. But he doesn't just stop with being thankful. He doesn't just stop with being grateful. That thanksgiving and that gratitude that he got because he looked at what God gave him, it then overflows to him giving. Paul becomes a gracious giver of the gospel to the Philippians. So according to our principle, that's exactly what we should have seen. And look at verse 15. Paul says in verse 15 of Philippians chapter 4, He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And then in verse 15, he says, and you, Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning of the gospel. Now, he is not talking about the first time the gospel was ever preached. Nor was he talking about the first time that he ever preached the gospel. He is referring to the beginning of when the Philippians heard and received the gospel. Well, how do you think they heard and received the gospel? From who? Paul. Paul is the one who gave them the gospel. Paul, having been generously saved by the grace of God and now full of gratitude for that salvation, began traveling all over the known world preaching the salvation of Jesus to others. And namely, and we're going to see in Acts chapter 16 to the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi had no synagogue, okay? That's where they probably would have gone to meet and to preach. They didn't have that. So what they did have is they had a small prayer group, a small number of Jews and non-Jews who wanted to join in worshiping God, and they would meet regularly, maybe in somebody's house. And what we read in Acts 16, 11 through 34, I'm just going to summarize it. We won't read the whole thing, but I just want to summarize it. Is that when Paul arrives in Philippi, this, and he begins preaching, they would have met with this small group and he would have preached to this small group. And one of the first converts to Jesus Christ was a woman named Lydia, who was a seller of purple. Many of you will remember that name, Lydia, in the cellar of purple. She was one of the first converts in this church. One day, one of... I always just wonder if this was an extraordinary thing or if this happened daily. But on a specific day here, they are probably traveling to go meet in this place of prayer and worship and teaching, when they run into a slave girl who Paul says has a spirit of divination. She was telling the fortunes of people and in the meantime making a whole lot of money for the people who owned her. For some reason, to which many theories have been proposed, she began yelling out the identities of Paul and Silas and others. Eventually, Paul turned to her and cast the demons out. Now, that probably did not make her owners very happy because now they have just lost the power to gain money by telling fortunes. So they try to cause an uproar in the whole city. They try to accuse Paul and Silas of causing this mass panic in the city, and they are are beaten and thrown into prison. Now, what happens next is probably a story that you have heard. While in prison, what do Paul and Silas begin doing? Singing. They begin singing. And an earthquake happens, and the chains fall off, and the doors of of the cell break open, and they walk out freely. And Luke ends the story with Paul and the men getting the upper hand when they reveal to the Roman citizens that they are Roman citizens. You were not allowed without trial to beat and throw a Roman citizen in prison. And that's just what they had done. So they got a public apology from the city. They're released from prison. But before moving on to Thessalonica, they meet one more time with those who have been saved. So, according to our principle, what should the Philippians be full of because of Paul? Gratitude. I mean, Paul came there, preached the gospel to them, was beaten, thrown in prison, on behalf of the Philippian people, getting the gospel. Based on our principle, they should be full of gratitude, and that's exactly what happens. As they receive the gospel from Paul, they are filled with gratitude. In Paul's letter to them, this letter that we're preaching from, He says so many things. He speaks so highly of the changed heart of these people. Here's what he says. He says, every time he thinks of them, he thanks God for them. Now, you think he could write that if these people were not thankful and full of gratitude? If this was a grumbling, complaining church, not full of gratitude and thanksgiving, do you think he would write that and say, every time I think of you guys, I just thank God for you? He says that he rejoices over them. He holds them in his heart. He yearns for them with affection. He calls them his beloved and he is glad with them. It seems impossible to me that these people would be described this way if they were not full of gratitude toward Paul. Because we we read other other letters... Mainly 2 Corinthians where where Paul has heard about the grumblings and the complainings and the stuff uh, from the Corinthian church about him and he has to write and confront that. Here, to the Philippian church, he just rejoices over them. He's thankful over them. He, He is glad in his heart over them. It seems impossible that this would be the case unless they were full of gratitude for Paul. I believe there is no question they were full of thanksgiving and gratitude. So here's what we've got. We've got God graciously and generously changing Paul's life with the gospel. We have Paul full of thanksgiving, full of gratitude to God for what God has done for him. And because he is thankful and grateful, he then goes to the Philippians and gives them the gospel. He gives them the the. The truth of Jesus Christ. And they get full of gratitude and thanksgiving. So based on the principle, what are they going to do now? They're going to generously give. This is how it works. They got generously from Paul. They're now filled up with thanksgiving and gratitude. That's going to overflow now to them being generous. And that's exactly what Paul says of them. Verse 15, he says, And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Number one, they supported Paul when no one else did. They supported Paul when no one else did. Why? Full of gratitude and thanksgiving to Paul. Paul, you went to prison on our behalf. You were beaten on our behalf. You you gave us the gospel. The least we can do now, full of gratitude and thanksgiving, is make sure we support your ministry. Make sure we support what you're doing. These were the kinds of people that support you when nobody else supports you. Secondly, secondly, They supported Paul immediately. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So right after Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica. And according to Paul, they gave him two financial gifts immediately after leaving him. So they didn't even wait to hear about the need. They just knew Paul's going. We're going to give him two different gifts right away for the next city he's going to be in. These are the kind of people that when they find out you need something, or even before they find out you need something, they're there no matter what. If you ever need anything, we're the ones to call. And then number three, they supported Paul in abundance. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul expresses that, he did not, that they did not just give him what he needed. They gave him more than he needed, enough for Paul to do whatever he wanted to do with it. They were the kind of people who do not just give you what you need. They go above and beyond. So how do you become a, a person who... Meets people's needs. How do you become a person who says, if you ever need anything, you know where to go? I'll be there in an instant. I'll be there for you in a heartbeat. How do you become a person who says, and I won't only just give you what you need. I'll give you above and beyond what you need. I'll make sure that you are completely taken care of. How do you become a person like that? You must be filled with gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for you. This is how this whole thing plays out. This happens because Paul looks at what God has done for him. And he is filled up with gratitude and thanksgiving. And it overflows to be generous to the church in Philippi as he gives them the gospel. And they then are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And now they overflow to be a blessing to Paul. By the way, now we're both overflowing, right? We got Paul overflowing to the Philippians, and now we got the Philippians overflowing to Paul. And guess what Paul's going to do? He's going to uh, overflow to the Philippians because he writes them this letter. He writes them a whole letter. He overflows back to them. So how do you become a church? How do we become a church that looks like this. How do, we come, how do we become a church where you're overflowing with, with blessings to me and I'm overflowing in blessings to you. And we've got this whole church, local church thing where we're just all overflowing with blessings to each other. It starts by being a grateful people. Which starts by looking at the blessings God has already given us. We will never be a blessing to other people if all we ever do is look at what we don't have. Instead, we look at what God has done for us. Paul graciously filled up by the lords. The Philippians were filled up by Paul. Paul was filled up by the Philippians who then filled up the um, Uh, then filled up the Philippians again. It's just this cycle that happens over and over and over again. Paul says in Philippians 2.17, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. I am happy to be poured out for you because you're poured out for me. This is how it's supposed to work. All of us gracing each other and filling each other up so that we keep gracing each other and filling each other up our whole church, overflowing. So we don't give to God as though He needs anything. We now serve God by serving His people who are in need. And as God gives to us, we will be filled with gratitude and then we will overflow to others. They will be filled with gratitude and they will overflow to others. Of course, you know what's amazing about this whole thing, what's crazy about this whole thing, is this is all just God giving. Here's what's wild. All of this desire to even be this comes from God. You don't naturally have a desire to be a grateful person. Your flesh doesn't want to do that. Your flesh wants to gripe and complain and fuss over what you don't have and what you wish you had and how come other people have what I don't have. and That's what your flesh wants to do. So the desire in you right now to not want to do that comes from God. comes from the Spirit of God. You being faithful and grateful for what you have comes from the strength of God. That overflowing to you being generous and giving to the church comes from God. So in us meeting each other's needs, you know who's really meeting all of our needs is God. Because we would never be this for each other except through him, ever. Look at how the world lives. Look at how the world lives. I'm going to do what's best for me, period. I'm going to vote what's best for me. I'm going to do my job for what's best for me. I'm going to conduct myself in my home for what's best for me. You see, because that is how the system of the world works. But we, on the other hand, are to think about one another. And that only comes because God has moved in our hearts to do something for us that we never would have done ourselves. So here's my encouragement today. If you are struggling to be a gracious, giving person, it's not going to happen by you just mustering up some kind of internal fortitude to just Be a better giver. Don't go home and look yourself in the mirror and just be like, be a better giver. It's never going to happen. You're going to walk away from that mirror and forget what you look like. The way it's going to happen is if we back up and say, maybe I'm not thankful like I need to be. Maybe I'm not grateful like I need to be. But you can't just look in the mirror then and go, be grateful and think that's just going to change either. We've got to back up from there and say, let me get my eyes on the graciousness and the generosity of my God. And when you do that, you're going to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And then when you're full of gratitude and thanksgiving, you're going to be a generous giver. That is the way it works. So we all need to examine our lives today and look and see. God, am I a generous giver? Lord, I may not be grateful like I need to be. Lord, I've got my eyes on the wrong stuff. I've been looking at the wrong stuff. Lord, help me get my eyes upon how gracious a giver you are.